Vernomatic Productions. Good evening, everybody. Vernomatic here. Hope everyone's doing well. I'm taking tonight off, but Metal Walt has a special co-host. He welcomes Doug Pinnock of the band King's X. They're here to honor Black History Month by celebrating the African-American pioneers of hard rock and heavy metal. This list is long. You got classic rock. You got metal. You got funk and punk. You got 80s era stuff. You have rap meets metal. Hard rock and metal bands of today, the old guard and the new breed. It's all covered. If you like what you hear here, do us a favor. Leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to the pod. If you're new to the show or have missed recent episodes, last week we had Steve Wino of The Obsessed. Two weeks ago, we had the Rock and Roll Detention Deep Cut Hair Metal episode. Before that, we had the History of Metal. And about a month ago, metal legend Dave Ellison was here to talk about his projects. Do yourself a favor. Get up to MetalMayhemRLC.com. Join our community by signing up for the newsletter. That way you get alerts on new podcasts, new interviews on our YouTube channel, reminders for our radio show on Monday nights on Metal Devastation Radio that I do, and everything else we got going on. We really appreciate you listening and viewing. So that's what we got tonight. Metal Wall, Doug Pinnock, honoring Black History Month by taking a deep dive into the African-American pioneers of hard rock and heavy metal. It's a good one. Enjoy. I'm the Vernomatic, and this is Metal Mayhem ROC. Hey, this is Doug Pinnock from King's X, and you're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC Podcast with Metal Walt. Ah, look, you're back in detention. Got it. But this time, you won't be throwing pencils up into the ceiling tiles the entire time. Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horn. Your proctors expect you to be on your worst behavior as they give you remedial instruction in the history of hard rock and metal. You're going to school? Hey, settle down. Here's Metal Walt with your rock and roll detention. Good evening, everyone. On this episode of Rock and Roll Detention, we're observing Black History Month by celebrating the African-American pioneers of hard rock and heavy metal. Joining me today as my special guest and co-host is the renowned singer and bassist of King's X, Doug Pinnock. Hey, he said renowned. Oh, my God. <laughs> you are renowned. You Thank are you renowned. Thank you very much. I'm not used to that word, but that's awesome. <laughs> So, Doug, uh, you and I go way back, and you may not even know this, but uh, I am a New Jersey lifelong native, um, and you and I have been in the same place at the same time 16 different times. And what I mean by that is I've seen 16 King's X shows through my lifetime, starting with a show at Studio One in Newark, New Jersey in 1989 on the Gretchen, all the way up to the present. God, I remember that show. So... Doug, you got big roots in New Jersey. You know, WSOU <laughs> was the radio station yeah. that brought me up to speed on the Gretchen Ghost of Nebraska album. And then, of course, you know, through Megaforce Records. So what does New Jersey mean to you in your history here? It's a part of the history to me, uh, New Jersey. Um, it was one of the first areas besides England to really embrace us. You know, so it seemed it, it, there's just a heart out there. I mean, I remember just a sea of black hair, long hair out there. You just a sea, 
of kids with long black hair. And it was like, this is New Jersey. And it's just awesome. And I still remember all those shows because everybody was so, it was like, everybody's excited. It was exciting. Everybody was excited. And, and you, you couldn't, for me, as I couldn't place it anywhere, but that just the room always lit up. When we'd walk into any, every time we play New Jersey, it's like we walk into the room and it's just this thing that comes out of everyone that I feel. That's a bit more than anywhere else. And maybe it was because it was so early in our career too, where it wasn't happening in other parts of the country. And I just, I mean, nothing like looking at a bunch of kids up there looking up at you, going play for, play for me. You know, I'm digging it. It was just, it's just, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but it was, um, it's what every musician wants, you know, is to, to, to experience that. Both sides of the fence, you know. I'll tell you, one of the more memorable shows that I was in the crowd for early on was, um, it was at the Ritz, and it was that first time through, or maybe the second time, and you were sandwiched in between Blue Murder and Billy Squire. And <laughs> that one I just remember like it was yesterday. It was such an amazing, you guys played 35, four minutes, six, seven mm -hmm. songs, but mm -hmm. that crowd was electric that night, and what a triple bill. It was cool. When well, you know, I happened to play for a half hour, 30 minutes, kind of pisses us off all the time. It's like all these people, you know, back in the day, they... They love King's X and they want us to open for them and they want to be on the same bill with us. So we say, okay, let us open for you. And what happens? We get three bands and then there's King's X for 25 or 30 minutes in front of everybody. So we just go, well, fuck y'all. We're going to go out there and we're going to give you everything that we have in every song. And when we get done, we walk off and go, okay, we stomped your brains. Okay, see you later. Yeah. Else you do, because I know that Regardless of what our music is and whether you like it or not, we do kick your ass. Regardless of if you like it or not, your ass is going to get kicked. You, you and, got uh, that right. You bring your uh, A game, Doug. You personally, <laughs> you bring your A game every time. I mean, the intensity on your face, the singing, you're sweating, your muscles are bulging out. You're into <laughs> it, man. You're shredding on that bass. I've seen enough of those shows. Mm. So, Doug. Awesome. Uh, a little bit about today's episode. So we yeah. have a segment on our show called Rock and Roll Detention. And mm -hmm. what we do is we take a deep dive into a particular band or topic and we kind of mm -hmm. geek out, right? So today we're going to examine, as I said, the African-American creators of rock and metal. And I got a big list that you and I are going to go into. But mm -hmm. first, I want to talk about like your musical upbringing, because on a show recently, I described to my co-host that, you know, there is no King's X without the unique sound. I mean, Ty has a unique sound, but without your bass style and your singing style, mm -hmm. there is no signature King's X sound. And, and I always go back in my head to the song Over My Head. That was your signature song, Put You on the Map, the video. And the lyric in there, Grandma used to sing every night when she was praying, right? Mm -hmm. um, Doug, there was a show, still to this day, I get goosebumps thinking about it. It was the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, Whoa. 1994 on the Dogman Tour. And I'll never forget those periods because when you got to that song, you just kind of waved your hands in the air and you orchestrated the crowd to sing along with it like it was church. That was one of those nights. It would It was in my memory still to this day, 30 years later. So talk about your musical upbringing. Like what kind of music was played in a home? 
Um, I'm going to have to make this condensed and quick because it could, it's a, it could be long. Um, basically, my great-grandmother raised me, and she was a very strict religious lady that did not allow anything to be played in the house but gospel music. And she didn't have a record player, so all we got was Moody Bible Institute on the radio, which was funeral music. And that's all I heard when I woke up in the morning. Okay, but going to school, they taught me show tunes and uh, just band stuff, big band stuff like that. Just taught me the, the rudiments of music. My school teachers that uh, in the music classes would always recruit me because they, for some reason, they saw that I had some kind of gift. And But the other thing was, I had a lot of relatives, okay? I have I have 10 great aunts and uncles who have kids and and have a lot of kids and there's like 14 cousins of mine. We're all the same age, okay? And then there's in between and, and beyond older and younger. So there's a lot of us. So there's always music in the family. So I'd go down the road a little bit to my cousin's house and they'd be playing blues, Muddy Waters, Lou Richard, stuff like that because it was in the 50s and the Chicago thing that was happening was when all the black folk, folks came up from Mississippi and stuff like that and Muddy Waters and all those blues players con congregated in Chicago while well, I was a little kid and when they were making those records on chess records and all that stuff they uh, the, the people would come down to the neighborhood and sell my cousins and, and the black people in the town uh, the soul records you know and then they, they'd pull them out of their trunk these records and sell them on the corner and so whenever somebody got a new record i ran to their house to listen to it and and i had some cousins that lived across from us that played rock and roll all the time they were teenagers so it was little richard chuck berry you know sam cook all that kind of stuff ray charles but i had other relatives who were into jazz kenny burrell jimmy smith and stuff like that so i'd go to each of my relatives houses and just sit there and listen to their music. They, I would walk in. I mean, they would tell me, "Don't touch the stereo, Doug." You know, because I was really little, but I was always wanting to hear music. And I would just all my my relatives would be running around playing games, and I'd be sitting in front of the stereo, just sitting there listening to music. And after I got old enough, where they let me play it, and they let me turn the knobs and and turn the treble and bass up and down the way I liked it, you know. And so it was always there was always music in my head. And my mother said. That when, before I could talk, she said every time she turned the record player off when I was a little baby, she said I would cry. She said when she turned the music on, I'd be okay again. So there was, she said there was something about me. She said, I'm wondering what he's going to grow up to be like. She, she, she just didn't know. So, you know, and going through high school, I had choir and, and band and all that kind of stuff. And I learned the saxophone and I learned music and stuff. And so there was always, always music. And I didn't care what it was. I liked it, you know, except for the Beatles. When the Beatles came out, I didn't get it. I really didn't. All my friends would like go. I was 14 and all my friends are freaking out. And I'm just, they were like, excuse my French, but there were a bunch of white boys trying to sound black and I already heard it before. But I was only 14 and that's what I got, you know. And later on in life, yeah, now I see the Beatles. Are you kidding me? How, how can I say anything bad about the Beatles? But at that point, you know, it didn't move me. Um, and so uh, right after that, you know, I got, I started going to college. Well, in high school, sorry, in high school, I moved in with my mom and she let me listen to music in the house. So for four, six years living with my mother in a black neighborhood in another town, I listened to WVON radio, which was the sole radio station in Chicago. I've been listening to it all day. 
until it went off at night. And I tried to sing every Stevie Wonder, Lou Richard, everything that was played. I Because I could sing in the house. I could sing this godforsaken music that my grandma wouldn't let me do at the house, at my house, you know, when, when I lived with her. So that was a whole new learning experience. And then I went to church with my mom. Now, let me backtrack. Church going, the church with my grandmother was a really quiet church. There was no hooping, hollering, no. It was just really boring. You know, it was just a small kind of congregation. We didn't have, have anybody to play piano even. You know, so it was like, there was like 15, 20 people. And it was my grandmother was the, the oldest person in the church. So I listened to this kind of gospel music. But I moved in with my mom when I was 14. And we went to this black gospel church that did stuff like Edwin Hawkins singers. I mean, they rock out. And that's when I started to learn how to sing soulful and get into that kind of vocal vibe in the church. So back to over my head, my grandmother used to, in the middle of the night, I would hear her making noises. And I don't know what she was doing. I always thought she was praying, but I come from a line of people that have night terror dreams. So she might have been having a night terror dream, and I didn't know it. And so, but the song was, you know, I'd just say, you know, my grandma used to pray at night. I don't know if it was true or not. It was just something that I thought it's a cool thing to sing about. Um, and um, and that's and, and so basically, the song is pretty much sort of a typical church service. How you 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 the call and answer, the everybody clapping and singing along, and then at the end of the end of the song, we had that kind of congregational thing going on. So at the end of the day, you know, it was just me. Making, giving my interpretation of a church service and singing about my grandma. And I didn't like the song and didn't play it for Ty and Jerry for almost, I, I wrote it in 85, so they heard it for the Gretchen record and they accidentally heard it. And the song started out on a little demo I had, cassette, and I got up and stopped. I said, this is a crappy song. Let's move to the next one. And they said, no, man, let's hear it. Come on. And I go, okay. And I played it thinking they're going to hate it like I did. And they go, what are you fucking talking about? And Ty said, promise me that you will play me everything that you write. Okay. And I go, okay. And we've done that ever since. See that? Look, look, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was um, just playing around, driving around in a car today. And I said, mm-hmm. let me just pick, uh, you know, some albums. I was listening to the new one. But then I went back to Ear Candy, which is one of my favorites. And, and Picture. A picture. I forgot about picture, but a picture. Mm. You talk about your grandparents in there, so I guess that song was also a reflection of the massive family that you just described. Yeah, I think I was going through a period of time of emotionally, you know, like the childhood abandonment. Why did you leave? Why couldn't you come get me? Blah blah blah. With you, you know, as a child, not growing up with with his real parents. so I was just trying to find my place in life. And so I sang a lot about the alienation and the coming together uh, of my life when it came to being whole uh, as a person who could embrace his family correctly. <laughs> you know, if that makes any sense. Metal Mayhem ROC. I'm Metalhead. Metal Mayhem ROC is the home for metal from the very beginnings. This is James Rivera from Hellstar. You're listening to Burnomatic. Dave Overkill from the 
Cleveland band, Destructor. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm doing great. It's a long time headliner. Hey, this is Red Beach from White Snake. Hey, this is Vinny Apathy from Dio, Black Sabbath, and Last in Line. To music of today. Hi, this is Olaf Wickstrand from Enforcer. Hi, this is Braun from Mastodon. You're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. With John the Vernomatic Burner. Plus, we talk with producers and authors to give you behind the scenes info. Hi, this is William Merwin, author of The Meaning of Metallica, Ride the Lyrics. Greg Renoff, the author of the book Van Halen Rising and the uh, Ted Templeman book A Platinum Producer's Life in Music. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. Giving you more to listen for. Join our community and always remember to keep it heavy. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So let's get into the history now. Listen, let's be honest here, right? Uh, Black representation in hard rock and metal. It's a rather exclusive club, but it's a growing camp. That's how I see Mm -hmm. it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got to take it back to the beginning over 50 years ago. But um, you start at the beginning, Doug. Jimi Hendrix, right? He's he's, He's the pioneer of it all, right? I mean, a guy that's around in the 60s, 
I know you've played on the Jimi Hendrix Experience Tour. Mm -hmm. You guys are both left-handed players. There's a parallel play, parallel play there. But what does Jimi Hendrix mean to you? And as an early child, what did yeah, he bring well, to here's you? The, here's the thing. I was about 16 or 17 when Hendrix came out. And uh, I didn't like him. He was too psychedelic. He didn't make sense to me. I didn't groove. I wasn't into the guitar thing. I was into dance. Down, you know so i just didn't even pay attention to him until he died and when he died in 71 i was 27 and i went out no i'm sorry he was 27 i was 21 and i went out and bought uh cry of love and fell in love with it it made sense to me it was a record that had parts he did he wasn't experimental like jimmy wasn't in the past and i related to that and then Bandit Gypsies came out, which was exactly what I wanted to hear in soul music. Heavy. And so I grew up listening to rock, I mean, listening to soul music and listening to black people play it. And then all of a sudden, there came a time when right around the time Jimmy came out and there was Funkadelic and uh, oh, Mother's Finest. Well, no, Mother's Finest hadn't hit it yet. But the, uh, the Barcades... Uh, a, a couple rock uh, black bands decided to go for it. They turned the guitars up. They were all screaming. Jimi Hendrix wiped them out for sure. But but there was this thing happening, and it lasted maybe two years. And I remember I was in heaven because I'm going, yeah, well, yeah, because I heard Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin reminded me of Booker T and the MGs without keyboards. You know, I mean. Uh, rock music in the early 70s was just soul music turned up. Every singer from Deep Purple, Robert Plant, everybody wanted to sound black. And me too, you know, and we all sang alike and we all had that gospel kind of vibe going. And that was the standard in rock music. You know, Glenn Hughes, go down the list, uh, Ian Gillen, you know, just keep going. They all were singing the way I sing now, because they're my heroes and we all grew up listening to the same people. So this was going on, and I'm going, now this is where solo music should be. And all of a sudden, the Commodores come up. Uh, there was um, uh, um, the Commodores, uh, Ohio players. We could just go down the list of that, that list of uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Just this list of bands that came out in like 72, 73, that went straight up from dance music. And all of a sudden, that wasn't a cool thing in the black community. Wasn't cool to play guitar no more. It wasn't cool. Jimmy, nobody cared about him. And they went on to play this. And I wouldn't read articles of bands in these funk bands that were huge. And almost every guitar player said, man, I want to shred like that Nugent. I really want to do my thing, but you know, you just can't do it in, in, in this kind of music. So they gave up on it. So I never forgave them. That was my thing. To me, the black rock bands that are playing now from 70 on up till now that are all black, like Living Color and bands like that, um, to me, they really held on to the truth of what was going on. It was like it was merging. White and black were merging together to create this great music. And I feel like my black community let me down. Yeah, I still feel that way. Um, but then, you know, you have Mother's Finest. They still, it's still gospel and rock, you know. Um, you can go down the list of bands like that. Even Funkadelic, when they came out, Super Stupid and Maggot Brain, hard rock. And then what comes out after that? 
America Eats is Young, straight up disco. It was a year later. And I thought, America, what? I put it on and I sat there going, what is going on? There's no guitar. It was just, everything was changed. And it, it's, it was really frustrating to me. And, and so I went out to do what I love to do is I wrote rock songs with soulful, I mean, I just kept doing what I did, what I like, and I still do that exact thing is I'm just trying to write this heavy soul tune that's got a little prog in it, a little twisted in it, and a little, little make it interesting, you know. But other than that, it's, that's my heart, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard to find that anymore either. Maybe that's why people go, you know, King's X is that different because of that, you know. It's like we're trying to play this type of music that's in our hearts that people have forgotten about or just kind of went under the, 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 the radar. Sure. So um, going back to the 70s, I mean, another big one to me worth calling out was Thin Lizzy, right? Because you got mm-hmm. Phil Lynott. I mean, he was he was half white, half black, but he was yeah. Irish and he's from mm-hmm. a British Guyana mix. But, mm-hmm. you know, somebody like Phil, I mean, he wasn't just, you know, this this singer of like one of the most popular bands that had hit after hit after hit. Mm-hmm. But he was a poet. He was a songwriter. Yeah. He also was a bass player. Right. So mm-hmm. that's got to be somebody that. Um, you remember. Um, so what what about Thin Lizzy, Doug? What did, what does Thin Lizzy mean to you? I will be honest to you. I didn't care about Thin Lizzy and I didn't play any of their records except for Boys Are Back in Town and Jailbreak. I okay. thought those were great songs. I felt like Phil Lennon was an incredible lyricist. Um, I become because he came from Ireland, seems like everybody from Ireland sounds like uh what's this, Van Morris. You know, so he was uh, he was a young Van Morrison when he sang, and he, you know, the way he ran his words together, and he spoke this, he said, you know, and Van Morrison did that, and and it for me, it just didn't move me, but I watched everybody around me lose their mind, so I I, I went along with it, and and now, maybe about five years ago, I pulled out a live Thin Lizzy record. And play played the whole thing because people say King's X reminds them of Thin Lizzy. And I played a live record by him and went, Wow, I'm an idiot. Because it did. It was like, yeah, we're their little brothers. You know, I, like I thought about it. I saw I saw the similarity. The thing about Bill Lennon was it, it's you know, I would say you, you can call it racist if you want in my from my point of view, but Bill was he wasn't I didn't consider him a brother in a sense of musically because he didn't grow up in the church he didn't grow up in America he didn't know those sensibilities he had another thing that he brought to the table which I didn't understand the Ghana thing he was half black and half white but he didn't have that gospel thing in him and that's what I always gravitated to when I listened to rock music so Ben Lizzie was a whole nother thing and the other thing about it is and just like I look at myself, I'm the only black guy in the band, so I don't consider us really legitimate when it comes to black rock. But when a band that's all black or like got most of the members are black, there's a there's a thing that I hear in them. There's these little nuances and pickups that, that black people know because we grow up around them, you know. And 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 if and it and it only can happen if almost the whole band got that sensibility. Like when I when I, I put this record out with uh, Eric Gales and Thomas Pridgen, it's the first time I ever played with two black people. 
uh, as a three-piece band. And there were nuances that I did that they knew that I, I've never been able to get white guys to feel, feel or hear because they grew up from that, the church thing. And I was going, wow, it's like, I get it now. And it, I smiled about it and I saw the difference and I saw the beauty of how when we bring it all together, we create a whole nother thing, you know, which is cool too. That's why I don't, don't discredit white people in a black rock band because Mother's Finest is probably one of my favorite bands and the drummer was white and the guitar player was white. And, but, but, but uh, uh, the, the singer and both singers, they brought church to it and, the, and everybody picked it up, you know, and they did it. Uh, it was awesome. There's another band in like 72 or 73 called uh, The Sheiks. They were uh, a black guy and all white band. Probably my second favorite band in the world. I'll send you links. They never got a record out. They never went anywhere. And to this day, I think that I try to emulate what they did to me. They brought me to church funk and hard rock harder than any it, it, well i went to bars to see them they're like you know small group of people and you and they would just give it to you in this little club and and this singer was like you get on piano like he was or keyboards like he was in a gospel church and start playing this gospel kind of vibe then the band would kick in with this just funk mop thing and he'd get off the keyboards and get up and sing and he had this thing on and and he was like mick jagger and tina turner all in one black dude and uh, it's something. Um, I wish you could. You, I, we will, or I will make sure you get to hear this band. Okay. All right. That sounds them. sounds great. So yeah. I got a, tri a trivia question for you yeah. now. I did mm -hmm. my research, and mm -hmm. this was new news to me for this episode, but I found through um, searching online that mm -hmm. there was the first all-black member heavy metal band was came out of Cleveland. They were named mm -hmm. Black Death. Um, yeah, they only put one album out. They mm -hmm. came out 1984. Right. But Doug, I listened to this album this week online. It's just a perfect metal album from that era. It and it's just you don't have to look it at is. the color of their skin. It's just thrown in there with tons of evil Satan mm -hmm. death references. Mm -hmm. It's heavy metal mm -hmm. and it's fine. That's what I loved about that record. When I when I listened to it, I'm going, this is the whitest black band I ever heard of. <laughs> I wasn't going, wow. And it was good. And I thought, and they're from Detroit around the same time Motown was winding down. And we had, at the same time, we had Alice Cooper, Detroit Wheels, Bob Seeger, uh, Iggy Pop, uh, Grand Funk. Yep. All these bands were coming out. At, oh, and MC5. All these bands were coming out of Detroit at the same time. I'm living outside Chicago. Okay. So I'm hearing this stuff. Kick out the jams, motherfucker, all that stuff. And um, here's the funny thing. I never heard about death until maybe 10 years ago. Somebody yeah. told me, you know, have you heard of the first, they call it the first punk rock band. Yeah. And I thought, dude, this sounds like Bad Brains, you know, in some ways. And so, but I never, I got to hear them later. I wish I could have heard them earlier. Um, yeah. there was, there's a lot of things I missed in the early days because we didn't have really didn't have a lot, a lot of rock radio i mean we had radio that played skinner and zeppelin and stairway to heaven and all kind of stuff but there was nobody playing us new stuff and i didn't know hardly anybody that had their ears to the ground so i just go to the record store and i'd go through things and see something that i thought looked good and i'd bring it home and play it 
And uh, we didn't have, we had Circus Magazine, but I didn't get it that often. So I missed out on a lot of things. I just went to whatever was put in my face at the time. Makes yep. sense? Makes sense. Um, Doug, another band that comes to mind while we're in the metal category, and, and, and they still exist to this day, is uh, Hirax. Uh, Katon DePena is his name, right? I mean, they're a thrash band all the way through. They've been around since the 1984, still active. Um, you know, and it's a- I it's a, hear this. Yeah, Hirax. H-I-R-A-X. Katon DePena is is H his name. R-A-X. Okay. Yep. I mean, think, think Overkill, like the band Overkill from Jersey. Uh -huh. Just wait. like that. Okay. <laughs> but he uh uh just Kayton, saw Bobby not too long ago this thing. And so did we. We uh we interviewed him uh recently as well. But awesome. they're another one. So Doug, moving into let's say the eighties now, right? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned bad brains, of course, so we gotta give mm -hmm. their credit there, but mm -hmm. I was laughing, or not laughing, but I was thinking about back to the beginnings when I saw you and you had the big mohawk, the big hair. And then I think of a guy like Jean Beauvoir. Mm -hmm. And you know what? He he had his time in the plasmatics with Wendy O. Williams. Mm -hmm. He's Haitian, um, mm -hmm. but he's also a very accomplished solo solo artist and songwriter. And, and people may not know, um, he wrote several songs for Kiss and actually played bass on yeah. the 80s Asylum album. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I know him in his, yeah, I know him and his family, okay? And I uh, actually, I got his son into a King's X show in New York. He had called me up and said, would you put him on the guest list? Um, when I first met John Beauvoir, let me tell you, backtrack. When I first saw John Beauvoir, uh, he was doing a solo song on MTV. It was in the afternoon. And I saw this black guy who looks a lot like me with a white mohawk. Yep. And I went, fuck. And I went, I turned the TV off after he got done with the video. And I literally was in Springfield, I think it was too. I went to the store, bought some clippers and some black hair dye. And I did it. So that's then how you ended up with your hair in 89. Uh, then I met him. Um, God, it was about, about 20 years ago now at NAMM. And I told him the story. We gave big hugs and con stay in contact. But I told him, I said, you're the reason I have that mohawk. I said, it's the only reason. And the other thing, too, is there was a guy in Chicago that was a photographer. And he, he did a, uh, a, a, a set with me, just me personally, um, for King's X a long time ago. And um, it was the same time Bois was doing his thing. And this guy said to me, he said, dude, I've always wanted to do a photo session with you because you look so much like John Beauvoir. We took pictures and he put some sunglasses on me. The only difference I could see was the hair color. We both freaked out. We both freaked out. And with glasses, you couldn't see our eyes. Everything else looked the same color, haircut. I mean, everything but the hair was, so you know. So you guys could play each other for Halloween. You could say, who are you I'm for not, Halloween? Yeah, I'm John well, 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 I met him. He's, he's like 5'6", and I'm 6'1". And he's, you know, he's, he's uh, I'm 135 pounds. So the two of us, he's a little, he's gained a little weight. Not a lot, but I mean, he's bigger than, than us. So it's like, no, we couldn't, we couldn't do it ever. <laughs> We don't come close. That's funny. Bless his heart. So, John Beauvoir, God. I, Doug, I mean, we could go on for three hours Ever. about King's X, but 
I just there's one observation I, I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you because mm -hmm. um, you was in the commercial era, but then you moved on. And again, as I mentioned earlier, Ear Candy was one of my favorite albums. And the song The Box, um, there's no there is no room inside a box. I interpret this song is when you wrote this one, this was basically you saying there's no room in my life for prejudice, whether that be color of your skin, sexuality, whatever. And mm -hmm. I remember seeing all those great shows in the late 90s. You know, you would play trade wins and all these places down the Jersey Shore. And Doug, you would you would just open that song up and you had a rant in the back end of that song where you were just mm -hmm. pissed off and go off. Talk about the meaning of that song. Um, I like what you're thinking, and I like that a lot of people have different interpretations of it. And I hope I don't ruin anybody's uh, interpretation. Um, it's just. I sing about myself. I don't know anything about anybody else. And my whole life I've been, I feel or felt like I was in a box, in a chain where I couldn't be me. I couldn't say what I wanted. I couldn't do what I wanted. It was, I just felt like I wasn't free. I was closed in this box and all I could see was a little box and I'm in it. And I'm to a place where there's no more room in here. You know, I, I, all my shit is in here, all the shit that I'm going through, this pile of crap, and I can't, you know, I got to get out. And so, and that's what that was about. And also, you know, the the middle part where I go, I box, sometimes you feel like you can't get out. You wish there was somebody somewhere who could understand. And then somebody comes around and makes you feel real bad. And at night when you sleep, you wake up screaming about things that you don't want to remember. That's me. <laughs> and, um, but when I sing it, I see people crying because they're relating to it in some way. And many people have told me that that song has gotten them, given them freedom in their own life, helped them to be strong in their life, to do what they wanted to do. And so, you know, as a empath that I am I just spew out all these emotions that I'm feeling and saying hey if you feel that way then we can relate and we can learn from each other you know yeah well appreciate that thanks for <laughs> thanks for sharing that good so thank you welcome I mean <laughs> um I listen we we want to move on on the list and we we talked a Let's little bit we about got time. Let's go. we got a lot of time I'll be here all day so living <laughs> okay. color right uh -huh. now Living Color, again, it's an it's an all-black rock band, but yes. these guys hit the scene big time in 1988 with the album mm -hmm. Vivid. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was 18 years old at that time. There were one single after the next on MTV, mm -hmm. Cult of Personality, Middleman, um, Glamour Boys, and on and on mm -hmm. and on and on. They were everywhere. They ended up getting the opening slot for the Stones. I know. But, Got booed a lot, too. <laughs> well, that's guys. a shame. But what yeah, I liked is. about it these is. guys was... They weren't they they were in the the hair metal era of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and mm -hmm. loud colors, yet they're not talking about that stuff. They're talking about money problems, living in the projects, mm -hmm. you know, social issues, like real issues. So well, they brought they brought the black side lyrically to a white audience from rock from a rock perspective. Because it seemed like, you know, the white kids in the suburbs love rap music and then they were really into all the, the danger and the, all the, the, the bad stuff about it. 
But, you know, Living Color came out and said, screw that. This is rock and roll. We'll tell you all about the same thing, you know, and, and that's what I liked about them. Yeah. They, I just saw them a couple of weeks ago. They were uh, they hit the road with Extreme. And mm-hmm. uh, I haven't seen them in a long time. And, man, mm-hmm. they still delivered. I mean. They're still doing Dude, I, I fronted them um, probably 15 years ago. Now, gosh, time flies. Um, Corey couldn't do 10 gigs in Europe. They were doing these festival things. And he said, ask Doug if he wants to do it. They called me up and said, you want to front Living Color for 10 shows? I said, how much? And they told me the price. And I went. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and so I went and did it. It wasn't hard because I don't sing as high as Corey. He's up in a range where it's a little too high for me. But I, I fought it through and learned the words, and we did it. It was a lot of fun. I've known these guys since the beginning, I think, of when they came out. I remember when they came to Houston, uh, to, we were making uh, Gretchen at the time, and they came to town and got a hold of our management and asked us to come out and see him play and hang out. They were playing a little club. And I went, Ty and Jerry, I don't think they went, but I, I always go out. I'm the guy that goes out all the time. I went out. Um, I remember I was standing in the, in the, on the floor with everybody else, and in the middle of the show, they stopped, uh, Corey stopped the show and called me out. I said, that's Doug Pennington, and King's X, and blah, blah, blah. We love this band. And it was like, it was a really cool thing. I had never met him. So after the show, I went back and we talked and said, we've been friends ever since. Phone numbers. I mean, Vernon just texted me a couple of days ago for my email address, he, but he hasn't sent me anything, so I don't know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And they've asked me to write some tunes with them, too. And I'm always, I'm usually always busy, but uh, I want to do that sometime next time because I got so many tunes. And I know what they're writing and what they do is my favorite kind of rock music. Is it's They play the type of stuff that, I wanted to hear because I remember when I played with them, I sang with them. I mean, when they'd go into there like, ding, 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 I was standing and go, man, I feel like I'm dancing like I'm in school. I'd be doing my things, you know? <laughs> and it was like, this is a real funk band like I always wanted to, to hear in rock music. I think they, they, can, they did it for me. So I can really say that to me that they are the epitome of, uh, of, of black rock. Definitely. So the rap and metal world intersected shortly after that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, a little yeah. before that, but mm-hmm. but let's talk a little bit about two collaborations, right? Aerosmith and Run DMC, and then you mm-hmm. had Anthrax and Public Enemy. So this is mm-hmm. rock metal meets rap, and you got black camps and white camps mixing. But mm-hmm. this, Doug, this this spawned a whole next generation of what was to come yeah. in the next ten to fifteen years, and I think immediately of one band. That went Rage forward. It was, you took it out of my mouth. See, we're thinking yeah. the same way. But yeah. Yeah. talk about these collaborations and you know that time of your life and what this meant to you. Oh man, um, there's a lot of emotions going on. I know Tom. I know the band. You know, in fact, I'm doing this curator thing uh, next week where I have friends come in and play, and I asked Tom to play Jailbreak with me, but he can't. He's out of town. Um, but uh, when they came out. What can I say? It was like right before we went into the dog man, around the same time. And when I heard it, the only thing I could think was they're doing what I want us to do is just big, fat, hard riffs. And I went, 
I was jealous, immediately jealous, and uh, and intimidated at the same time, you know. And um, them and a, a lot of other bands that were coming out at that time really pushed my side of dog writing the songs in Dogman. I'm thinking these motherfuckers, we're drop detuned and we're a little bit heavier than most bands. Now all of a sudden, everybody comes out down in the gutter like we were and heavier and harder. Alice in Chains, all those bands. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I just got to go lower. And I just went down and, and wrote Black the Sky and, you know, and Human Behavior and all those songs. And it was brutal. And, and, and when that record came out along with Rage and all those bands, it was like, I felt like I was part of the, the herd. You know, I felt, I, I felt really good about it. Um, and we were all fans of each other, all of us, you know, all these bands, we were all wanting to play with each other and we were all pushing the envelope anyway, you know, it was from Soundgarden to Pantera. Everybody was tuning down and trying to find some kind of groove and put a melody on it somehow. Even, even Phil had melody going, what? You listen to me? I mean, he had a look. You know, we were all going for that hook and that whole thing. And uh, I mean, the guys in Allison Chains, I mean, we ducked each other. I remember uh, Jerry played me uh, Rooster before it became a song, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was one, in the 90s, it was one great big family of musicians. So Rage came out and and really just, um, the only thing about Rage that I couldn't do, couldn't keep up with is because of rap music, I, I, I never cared about rap. You know, I just never understood it. Um, and I wish I did, you know, because I don't know anybody. I mean, white, black, everybody gets it. And I'm sitting there going, I like Snoop. I like Ice-T, you know, or, or, or uh, what's the other? Uh, there's a couple of them that I think one or two records, I'm going, these stories they're telling, you know, I got my mind and my money and my money on my mind. And that, you know, I thought, this is the greatest thing in the world. Um but after that, it was, there was no guitars. And that was my thing. If there ain't no guitars in the music, I ain't going to listen to it. And I just, I'll be honest, you know, you just, I ain't going to hear it. Um, so rap music wasn't a thing. So when Zach started rapping, at first it was like, I got goosebumps. But then after a while, it's like, I wanted to hear a melody, you yeah. know? And so I just kind of, I'd lose interest. But again, you know, you know, every song that came comes on the radio, and when I go see Rage, when they, well, I've seen them twice, and it's like, as soon as that riff comes in, we're going, yeah, you know, and it's like, so don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm a type of person that I find, I find things that I don't like in everything, and and uh, and it's not I me, mean, I'm a hater. It's just that I'm just, I like to tell people the things that I don't like about things, and shame on me, you know. It's critical um, thinker. That's how you get better. But oh yeah, true, Doug. I mean, but even going back to let's say the Anthrax Public Enemy collaboration on Bring oh, yeah, the yeah. Noise. I mean, that I was, was in a... Madison Square Garden on the floor on that mm -hmm. th you know tra Thrash of the Titans tour mm -hmm. where those guys came out at the end, and it was just sick. Oh, sick! Don't get me wrong. When that wreck, when they put that out, I thought this is where it should go because you got great rappers. You got a class band, ain't it worked? And I'm thinking, this is where we need to go with it. And I think it did head that way in so many different ways. Um, yeah. So there's all these little things that spawn so many little things, you know. 
I mean, all of our bands spawned something, you know, and it was oh, just, yeah. I, I just, I love being a part of the fabric. You know, you do this, somebody follows that, somebody does that, you know, it's yeah. just, we just keep throwing back and forth at each other. Now, um, um, I don't know if you're uh, aware, but uh, Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC, he's got a little metal side project. I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to see him about a year mm -hmm. ago at a little club in Jersey. His band's called DMC and the Hellraisers. Okay. And uh, it's it's rap metal. And then he takes all the all the uh, DMC you know, rap songs and he, he mm -hmm. kind of makes a metal version. So if you get Good. a chance, check those out. But I was I able will. to catch up with him after the show. We haven't had him on our show yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're going to get there someday. But he's another guy. He's a real metalhead, deep deep at heart. Well, think, think about the first record. The first record was basically ACDC with no words. Remember the riffs? All the riffs are just a typical type ACDC type groove. All guitar, drums, and bass. Wouldn't Hardly anything else, you know, scratching and stuff. Yeah. But what that first record was a rock record. Yeah. And, 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 and I, when I heard it, I'm going, okay, all right. My brothers, we're on to something. We're on to something. And I'm waiting for the next band to come out that had a rock band. And I was waiting for brothers to pick up guitars and start this stuff again. And nobody picked it up, it seemed like. And I'm going, oh, man, what do we got? We rappers got to get white guys to play rock music so they can <laughs> rap over it, you know? And But, you know, that's just my frustration. At the end of the day, it's done what it's done, and it's been a great, great thing, you know? So whether I like it or not. Well, here's one. We're talking about rappers. Ice T, Ice T, and Ernie C come out, and mm -hmm. they come out under uh, a brand new band, an all black speed metal band called Body Count. And I got them. I buy them all. The new record is amazing, isn't it? The it latest is. one, I was like going, "Dude, you got this." I mean, it was like really, really good. The band, the words, everything. Because I did a thing with Ice T, or uh, I get the names so mixed up. Yeah, him. Um, um, uh, uh, Beauty and Chaos. Uh, this group, uh, we did this thing where he did the rapping in it, and I played bass and sang lyrics in the song. You could look it up and find it. Uh, Zach Wow played the lead in it, and uh, um, the head guy that put it together, Michael, forget his last name, he's a guitar player. He runs Schecter Guitars, and he has this little, little, uh, um, group called uh, um, Beauty and Chaos, and he asked us all to, to play on it. And so and it's a really cool song, so you got to check it out. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I mean, I just, listen, I remember back then, though, when, I mean, going back to the beginning, when Cop Killer was released, I mean, yeah. you know, the stamps all over, the mm -hmm. tapes, I mean, it got the attention of the national media. I remember, you know, President Bush and Dan mm -hmm. Quayle were, like, going up there making statements saying this is inappropriate. I mean... I can't even imagine that shock. now, right? Shock. No, not now. Not now. But back then, we all, I mean, why did everybody go buy it? Because of that. Dude, they they were saying what black people wanted somebody to say. And they were saying what white kids wanted to hear. You know what I'm yep. saying? And they they wanted, I mean, so like, like I look back at when Ty, our guitar player, when he was growing up, that's when all the racism was happening where they were spraying black people down and the whole thing on the bus where they, they she couldn't go, and, uh, she had to go to the back of the bus and all that kind of stuff. Ty was a kid there and didn't know anything that was going on. Mm -hmm. Had no idea. And and so I think that NWA throwing it out there, it opened the white kids up to what was going on in that community. And that's, I think that's what started this whole 
uh, the big push for for rap becoming in the mainstream. It's because you know the stories were just so harsh and violent, and man, and the way they said it, and the things that they said. I'm going. I could never say fuck the police. I could never say that. Mm-hmm. Even now, you really can't say that. No. <laughs> you know. I mean, we were on tour with Motley Crue, and I remember Nikki Six started doing that fuck the police thing, and he did something else on stage, and the police um, force, there was like 20 cop cars came out, and as soon as we got done playing, we all got on the tour bus, and they escorted us out of town and said, mm. never come back. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The hell of a story. <laughs> I got stories. <laughs> <laughs> So, Doug, in the uh, bringing us up to speed, let's say to mm-hmm. uh, the last few years, or yeah. let's say the present day, right? So, mm-hmm. I'm just going to name a bunch of artists, and then we'll talk a little bit about them, right? So, you got okay. Derek Green from Cleveland. I mean, mm-hmm. he steps into some big shoes in the band Sepultura. They're an all Brazilian mm-hmm. thrash band. The brothers, the Cavalera brothers, leave. Mm-hmm. Derek comes into that band, being an African American man, takes mm-hmm. over. He's been there a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And we, you touched about Alice in Chains before, but William Duvall, I, uh, mm-hmm. I absolutely love him. But you talk about tough shoes to fill. I mean, Lane mm-hmm. Staley was a legend in and of himself. Mm-hmm. The band went dormant forever. Mm-hmm. Then Jerry comes back with Will, and granted, mm-hmm. Will came from Jerry's solo band because I had seen mm-hmm. him a couple times. But mm-hmm. here comes Will. He's about six foot four. He's skinny as a rail with boots, this giant afro, and sunglasses. Mm-hmm. But he sings like an angel. Mm-hmm. Um, Talk about Derek and, and Will. What's your impressions of those guys? You know, uh, Derek, I love what he's done with Sepultura, and he's the only guy that could have took that place, you know? It's sort of like Bon Scott and and what's-his-face, uh, singer for ACDC now. Brian um, Johnson. Brian. To me, it's like I love both of them. I miss Igor's voice, you know, and some of the old Sepultura stuff that was is dear to me. But when he stepped in, it it was like if if uh, Lejean from Seven Dust walked in there and grabbed that mic, he he gave the bigness to the voice, and I think he does a great great job. I know the guy, and I love him to death. And um, William uh, William had a band called Madfly, and they opened for King's X in ninety, I think it was eighty nine and ninety in Birmingham, Alabama. So we've known him forever, and and uh, and I remember when he joined uh, Allison Chase. I'm going, that's William. I didn't know he sang like that, you know. And because they they were all the uh, Madfly was an all black rock band, but they did stuff like Bowie. Mm. It was way out in the left field, and it was so cool. Ty and Jerry loved them, and we don't. I think they broke up, and they never got a record deal. So, uh, yeah, there's, the thing about black rock musicians is we all know each other because there's only a handful of us. We all know each other. 24-7 spies, you know, I talk about those guys, and they're good friends of mine. I've sung in their records, you know. Um, yeah, black rock. Anyway, so we I got, don't know where I'm going with this. but No, I know, but, <laughs> bring, but you're right. It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's like we said, it's a fraternity. It's, it's a yeah. small exclusive club, a growing club. I mean, you have... One of my favorite bands that they're not new anymore, but they're still considered newer would have been Killswitch Engage. He had Howard oh, Jones. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. talk about a heavy, 
heavy band. They were contrast in color. Mm -hmm. I mean, they still are. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's dark and heavy and Howard up there. Mm -hmm. rawr, rawr. And then he just yeah. brings this beautiful, colorful rainbow voice out with, you know, these songs like I, A Bid Farewell, Rose of Sharon, mm -hmm. This Is Absolution, My mm -hmm. Curse. Talk about mm -hmm. contrast. And you touched on Seven Dust. I'm not, I can't say I'm the biggest fan, but Little did I know they're going on their 30th year in the business and 14 albums in. That's an um, impressive piece of work. It is. It is. Same band, too. You know, few others worth calling out. Danko Jones, the Canadian rocker. And uh, I didn't band. know he was black. He's uh, he's he's mixed race. Oh, I yes. didn't know that. And uh, Byron Davis from God Forbid. Oh, yeah. Byron. Jersey. I know Byron. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and now <laughs> I see him all the time out here, too. We hang out okay. and talk and stuff. He's a good guy. Okay. Okay. So there's one small category left that I want to cover before we go back to King's X and we talk about your plans for this year. But um, I call this the hard rock blues, soul, hip hop, funk sound. And mm -hmm. there's the old guard and then there's the new breed. So the old guard, of course, is Lenny Kravitz, right? This guy mm -hmm. is Grammy Award winner. He's like, um, I mean, he's just pure rock star across the board, yeah. radio staples. But then I oh, feel no. like his disciple that's coming out now and spreading his wings and coming of age is Aaron Jones out of Seattle. Yeah. I've got everything Aaron has done and I've never met him, but I know people that have worked with him and they've mentioned me to him and he, they say they love King's X and one day we'll meet. In fact, I told our management, said, why don't we get them on the road with us? And uh, if we can get that done, that would be so cool. I would love them to play with this. Hey, I Ron, love Aaron. He's just, it's just, it's so he's refreshing. It. Mm -hmm. He's young. He's a mm -hmm. great guitar player. Mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix and the grunt sound. He keeps mm -hmm. his roots from his town, but. Well, there's heart. He has heart. Oh, and that's, yeah. He's rocking. I mean, this is, you know, board up your fucking windows, you know. We're going to break down your fucking doors. I'm going, Jesus, this is a black guy playing rock music in this violent rock song that wasn't like we're gonna hurt you but we are the baddest shit you ever heard listen to this and when they go into the room and it's raw and i'm going i'm in i am in i don't care <laughs> you know i turned that shit up and i says okay give me what you got and i had that ep and i listened to like three well, it was only four songs and i played the shit out and when he says you know he's a a child of the state and his mother left him when he was a child. I related, mm -hmm. you know, and I was going, my God, this guy, no wonder he has, he has a lot of pain and turmoil going through him. And the reason I say that is because anybody who's had a, a, a an experience with separation from the person that they fell in love with first, as a child and they're gone and people basically say they don't care it breaks you down and that's that's a lot of the drive that that i've done and i and you know i can't speak for him but those are the things that pushed me i went out into the world to to just do what i do because i didn't want to feel the pain from the past and the only way i could get through it is to sing about it and luckily, I had people out there who listen. Yeah, and I feel it. that way. I feel that way about him, and I could be completely wrong, you know. <laughs> no, you're probably right. You're probably right. 
So, so Doug, um, we want to get into King's X for 2024, okay. but first, I've they, two listener questions have slipped through the chain, so I have Uh-oh. to ask you two listener questions. Uh-huh. All right, so the first one comes from Jason Bernanko of New Jersey, mm-hmm. who is a gigantic Pearl Jam fan, uh-huh. and he says that you have ties to the Pearl Jam camp, so he oh, wants yeah. to know... How did that happen? And did you record material with them? And did you play live with them? Like, what's your ties to the PJ camp? Yeah, there's all, all that stuff kind of. I met Jeff when King's X was making, I think, the Gretchen record. Or maybe a little before. Um, Jeff became a King's X fan on the first record. And he's a guy that likes to travel around. And Mother Love Boat was about to make the first record. And he would fly out to New Jersey and hang out with us when we were there at Metal Blade or uh, Megaforce mm-hmm. doing our thing. He'd just fly out and be with there. And we'd go out and have dinner. And one time he even invited me out to uh, hang out with them when they were making the Mother, Mother, Mother Love Bone album. So we go way back. Um, then when Andrew died, um, they started Pearl Jam and it was Mookie Blaylock. And Jeff sent me this cassette and it said Mookie Blaylock on it and he said this is my new band tell me what you think and he played me the demo of Pearl Jam um I wasn't crazy about it as much as when I turned it on the other side it said Temple of the Dog and I played Temple of the Dog and I'm going who the fuck is this and I need to stop singing and give up and it wasn't until a couple years later I found out who it was. It was Chris and all those guys. And, you know, I knew them all, but I didn't know. And I didn't text him back or write a letter back to him and say, who's that band? I just answered about what he, you know, I said, the band sounds pretty good. And, uh, and that's why I left it. And then the record came out, you know, and I buy it and I open the back of it. And it says at the beginning of it, thanks to Doug Pinnock and then a whole list of other people. And I'm going, whoa. And now, you know, it just shocked me. And we just kind of, our lives just kind of were always in contact with each other. Um, So when they started out, I remember I went to see them as Mookie Blaylock opening for Alice in Chains in a little club in Tacoma, Washington. Um, The club had about 20 people, and me and Ty and Jerry were there. They had just come to see us play we had opened up for ACDC. So they came and saw us play. Then they got backstage and said, come see us play. Cause I knew Jeff. So we all went down and I watched them play. First time I think I saw Alice in Chains, but I knew the guys from Alice in Chains because they gave me their demo before they got a record deal when we played Seattle. I know we, we go way back, all of us. So back to Pro Jam. So uh, Pro Jam blows up. And all of a sudden, I remember they used to say, we can't wait to open for you guys. Allison Chains and Pearl Jam. They'd always say, we can't wait to open for you. Well, uh, we opened up for Pearl Jam. <laughs> they just blew up and they, they blew us out of the, out of the, out of the re- re- arena. So, so they asked us and we'd open up for them and we did. And we toured with them for, uh, you know, a, a short period of time. And it was some of the greatest times I had with those guys in the prime of where they were just doing those three hour shows and just jamming out and Eddie was jumping off of rasters and, uh-huh. and we, it was just a great time of hanging out. Um, and I got to sing, um, uh, what is it? There's a song 
I can't remember the name of it, but it's um, if you find the live program record, there was a live broadcast in Atlanta, Georgia, and they bought license for everybody to run the show free, ham radio and everything, and they played a live show, and we played it with them. Mm-hmm. And I sang a song with Eddie, and Jerry played percussion on this song. And uh, oh, wow. we, we traded our verses. Uh, um, Policeman, it's called. Policeman, and, uh, so, okay. And that, we had a lot. So, so you know, we go way back. That's kind of the story. We stayed in contact. And then, one other thing, um, Jeff called me up and said, let's do a side project together. And I go, sure. So he, I flew out to um, Montana, where, where his house and studio are. And uh, Mike McCready showed up, and me, him, and uh, uh, Richard Stewart, who uh, played drums, and Jeff, and we uh, made a record, Trace Mountains. Okay. I played guitar, Jeff played bass, me and Mike McCready played guitar, and it was so much fun. So, so yeah, that's the history. That's there's probably, there's more, but that's that's the gist of it. <laughs> that's a great long history. Appreciate that. So now here's the second listener question. So Dave Utz wants you to comment about your collaboration with Bruce Franklin for from Chicago Doom Band Trouble and the CD Supershine. Ah, uh, Bruce, dude, when I first heard Trouble, they were, to me, they were the original Doom Rockers, okay? There was nobody doing what they were doing. It was like this Black Sabbath little brother 20 years later, you know? And it was like the next generation of fat, thick, Doom rock. And when and I bought those records like crazy. And one day, um, Trouble played... I had this was the second time I saw them. They played in Houston, and I went up and met Bruce and the rest of the band. And they again, we're all fans of each other, so it was so cool just to be embraced in it. And we just start talking one day and say, "Hey, let's let's do a project together." So Bruce moved down to Texas, and uh, I had a recording studio for like a year. And we went into my studio and um, made the record. Jerry played drums on it. Um, some reason Bruce didn't wasn't happy with. Ali, who was playing drums on it, and so he literally told him, we're going to get Jerry to come in and do it. Broke Ali's heart. It was like a weird situation. But Jerry came in and played drums on it. So yeah, we, we uh, Bruce wrote all the music, and I wrote the lyrics. Uh, Bruce has a way of playing that he doesn't go outside the box. It's it's there, and what you hear from Bruce is like ACDC. It's, the, it's perfected into this thing everything is like that and he does it so well his guitar amp he's had it since the 70s and he flew it down and it's about to go yeah i mean it's, it almost doesn't work anymore and he's afraid to put new tubes in it afraid to do anything to it because it has his tone and he's so married to that tone that he's he won't he won't do anything to it until it, he said when it dies then I'll figure it out. It was pretty cool. So yeah, we did we did the record, um, and it was a lot of fun. Ty mixed it, um, and uh, and also he did uh, the guitar. Uh, Ty um, engineered Bruce's guitars because I just don't have the patience. You know, guitar players will play a hundred leads and hate every one of them. And I'm going to I don't see anything wrong with this. And I thought, you know, Ty's a guitar player; he'll understand. I said, Ty, you want to engineer one? And Ty did, and it was pretty cool. And he mixed the record too, so uh, that was a fun record. And um, we talked about doing another one, and we actually did a, a, a demo of a couple songs and went to Metal Blade, but it just didn't pan out. 
Um, I think that, uh, you know, with the record didn't do much anyway. So I don't think there's a record company would want to put it out because they're not going to make any money. Yeah. So, and the only difference is that Bruce Franklin lived in LA. He could come over my house and we could make a record. There I mean, I make records in my house all the time. So, uh, you know, you never know if, if, if you can get down here, he works a day gig, you know, like a lot of musicians do. And he's really tired up with life, you know, because, you know, all of us aren't as lucky, you know, to make a living and not have to work, you know, so yeah, bless his heart. Sure. So it's, yeah, it's I funny. Think that's it. Then, so, uh, Doug, I, I just, I'm thinking of a story like, um, talking about Jerry it is, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll get a kick out of this Jerry lives in New Jersey and I know when you say Jerry like you're, <laughs> you're from New Jersey you're so funny you got but, that accent you see that <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's I've run into him a couple times at different shows or maybe mm-hmm. he's playing or, or whatever mm-hmm. and and then he's got his wife and her twin sister and forever I've been trying to nail Jerry down to get him on our show to the point where I swear to God, I ran into his wife without him mm-hmm. there. He was mm-hmm. seeing Buddy Guy, and I was at Judas Priest, and uh-huh. I go up to his wife, and I'm like, "Like, aren't you going to work this out for me? She's like, I know. I keep telling him I run into you. So uh, the next time I see him or the next time you talk to him, you got to tell him, be like, yo, man, I beat you to the punch. Well, listen, this is what you do. You should do, because I know I'll forget. You got You set this up. We set this up through Alex. Right. Okay. Alex is our manager. Yeah. Just say, Alex, get Jerry next. And, <laughs> and, and Alex will call you. He'll text Jerry and go, dude, you want to do this podcast? And Jerry goes, sure. You see, I never ask him what the podcast is or anything. He just says, you got a podcast. Uh, 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 you can do this Wednesday between one and three. I go, I can do that. And I don't know anything until I call you. Ah. <laughs> See that? So you, this was a surprise for you today. That's great. It's always it's always a surprise. That's what I like about it because I don't want to think about it. Everything yeah. is is spur of the moment for me. If right. I don't, I'll start thinking about. Well, I need to say this, and I should say this, and like, you know. Yeah, you, you let guys like me do the script for you. So exactly, Doug. Uh, talking about King's X because I want to give it its its uh, right attention. I mean, the latest album that came out last year, Three Sides of One, mm-hmm. number one, a brilliant title. I, it's so clever. The album art is perfect. It's the 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 trifecta of the members, but you're one unit. Just brilliant job. But um, my favorite tracks, nothing but the truth. Give it up, Watcher, Festival, and Swipe Up. Those are my five favorites. Uh, was spinning it today. Um, how's the album been going for you? And talk about touring. You got a date coming up by me. Mm-hmm. You know damn well I'll be yeah. in Jersey. Uh, we'll we'll have to hook up. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, um. You know, it took 15 years to make this record. And um, I don't know how to, I mean, I I look at it this way. It's like when you had 10 kids, that last kid, you let the the older brother and sister take care of them while you sleep, you know. (laughs) So it's just another record to me. I put my heart into it. We put our love into it and life into it. and, and, And also... You know, we spent time on it. Um, I wrote, I had probably 40 songs written Hmm. since then and put out two solo records and two PGP records and three KXM records. And so the guys are sitting at home going, we don't think we got anything to give the people, you know, 
that we we can't up the ante any and that's how everybody felt um it was like we've already done everything anything else we do now is just a character of ourselves but we didn't want to do it and so i just patiently waited and uh and but i said you know i gotta go do my thing and i went out and did all these projects and one day i just had about three or four like to go swipe up and a couple of other of those songs um oh uh flood yeah. and we were on the road somewhere and we were all drinking wine. We were pretty much hammered. And I thought, you know, I got to play these guys some of these tunes because I've been writing all these tunes. We got to make a record. I said, guys, we need to make a record. Uh, and, and I said, can I play you a couple songs? And they go, yeah, let's hear them. And I played them Swipe Up and uh, Flood. And Ty loved it. He like, whoa. And he says, man, I'm encouraged. We can Randy, we can do this. I got some songs too. And then Jerry says, I am encouraged and horrified because, you know, Swipe Up and uh, Flood are really mathematical songs. And, and I wrote them with the drum machine. So they sounded more like my sugar than John Bonham playing those songs. So Jerry went, okay, you want me to wrap my brain around this? I mean, I'm encouraged, <laughs> you know, because he knows I'll push the envelope. So, um, we we laughed about it, talked about it, and we said, "Let's make a record." And we said, "Who's going to produce it?" And and um, and oh, Michael Parnon has produced two of my records, my Hendrix tribute record, and "Strum Some Up." And and Ty really loved that record so much, "Strum Some Up," that he he really liked the way Parnon produced. So we said, "Let's get Michael." To do it. So they all flew out to California, and we got a record deal. Made a long story short, and got a budget, and we just had a great time making a record. Just and this time it was like. No arguing. Nobody's really changing anybody's vibe. Everybody's contributing. Everybody's owning the songs. It was like we had finally matured to the point where we were just ready to make the best record we could without any complaints. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. No tense moments because you know we're a band. We're gonna mm -hmm. we're gonna fight over things and argue over things. And I'll go. I wrote that song and it doesn't sound anything my song anymore. You wrote it. You know, and then everybody and everybody loves this song, and I'm putting my head down, going, you know, it's yeah. just like, well, it's not what I wanted, you know. So you know, it's just all those things that musicians go through and break bands up too. With, but uh, we stay together and keep it going. Um, so yeah, um, and so Jerry brought in a couple songs, and um, they were really different because Jerry writes different types of songs than we do. You know, uh, uh, take the time and mm -hmm. and and those songs. So and I thought. And we all thought, let's let's make this record not like it was when we did Dogman. Like Dogman, sonically and physically, just sounded like one piece. Okay, and I thought maybe let's try this. Let's let's approach every song as a single and mix it, record it, everything as a single. And we did. That's why every song sounds so drastically different. You know, I mean, take the time could be played on top forty radio. Yep. If if we had it, did it the way the King's X way, it wouldn't. You know, it wouldn't have a chance. You know, I t I you know I took the high end the distortion off my bass. You know, I tried to you know play the you know it was all a lot of fun to create the songs instead of being married to the tones. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it, even it definitely Ty's, makes sense. Yeah, Ty's signature guitar sounds. Are, they pop in and out on this record, but Michael took 
all kinds of different guitar sounds and mixed them in with Thai sound. Um, so it just gave the record a, a big variety of, of uh, I guess, of things to listen to. You know, um, next record, be different again. We'll figure right. it out. <laughs> so when you get out on the road, um, I mean, I, I've seen the set list from last year, and it was unfortunate I didn't get a chance to see it last year because it fell on the same weekend as when Metallica came through. But um, bless your heart. You got a show coming up in Newton, New Jersey. It's only about and, a half hour from me. I'll I would love to have a beer, a glass of wine with you, meet you, Doug, for the first time in person. But um, it's also we Gretchen. can do that somehow. We can okay. figure that out. <laughs> All right, we'll work that out. Um, mm-hmm. It's also uh, Gretchen goes to Nebraska. I was looking at it. it's been thirty five years since that yeah. album came out. I'm always curious. Is any thought to ever getting on the road and maybe doing that one complete or showcasing four or five songs you haven't done in a lot of years? I suggested that about 10 years ago. Um, but here's here's how I would like to do it, only because I can't... I don't know about Jerry and Ty, but I can't sing those things. I can't okay. do that anymore, okay? But we have a friend of ours named Wally Farkas who would be the other guitar player in the band. He's Ty's best friend and one of my best friends. And this guy plays better than all of us and he's the guy that could could so we would get two guitar players ty and wally we would get about five or six backup singers to sing the harmonies with ty and jerry and we'd have to tune everything a little lower and 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 i would see if i could make it through you know maybe with a little help making it make it your know, lights uh Screen, make it an evening with King's X and friends doing Gretchen. And only in like maybe five major cities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, a, it's an idea that may happen. My voice is getting better since I, I, I stopped smoking um, uh, regular weed. I do vape pens and tincture now. And it's, it's cleared my voice up to the point where it's getting to the place where I might be able to sing some of that stuff again. But this stuff... You know, it fucks with your voice, and I, I I did it wrong. You know, smoking joints before I walked on stage, you know, mm-hmm. and chewing gum to keep my my throat moist. It's like, what are you doing, Douglas? This is this is your bread and butter. This is the thing that you love to do the most, and you're ruining. And uh, I beat myself up every day over it now. Yeah. So, uh, Doug, we've covered a lot of ground today. <laughs> a lot of ground. <laughs> I will sit here for another three hours, but I think this just means we'll that you got to let's yes. do number two. Okay? Yes, we got to mm-hmm. do another number two, and you could be yeah. a regular special guest on Metal Mayhem R's ROC. But I invite I you to stay. That. I invite you to stay on for a minute after we get off air. Um, but I uh, just wanted to give a shout out and a thank you to Jay Wallace from Express Radio in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. He was the one that made the connection. Hey Jay, uh, from I you love to me. you, man. Hey Jay, 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 Jay. I hope you're listening. I love you. It was great hanging out with you. It's always great hanging out with you. You're a good man. And I hope things are going well for you, which, you know, you've been telling me some things were happening, you know, last time I saw you. I hope everything worked out for the best. And um, he's just an old friend of ours that that he's been around since the beginning. Nobody forgets Jay Wallace. Well, thank you, Jay. I don't know Jay. I've never met him. My Mm co-host, John Verno, knows him. Thank you, Jay, for making the connection. Um, to our listeners, just a reminder, get up to our website, MetalMayhemROC.com, and join our community by signing up for our email newsletter. It's the best way to stay updated on new podcast episodes 
interviews on our YouTube channel, CD and concert reviews, as well as reminders to join in on our live radio show Monday nights on Metal Devastation Radio. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Doug, um, thank you for your time today. Uh, talk about your socials. Where can we get all the information on King's X and, and Doug Pinnock? <laughs> uh, you know, I should learn where to take people. I always just say, you know, type in King's X or Doug Pinnock. You're going to get more information than you need. <laughs> So that's the best thing I can do. It'll tell you, you know, King's X, jeez, uh, um, King's X, uh, Facebook, Doug Pinnock, Facebook, Doug Pinnock, Instagram. It's just D-U-G Pinnock. You just post that in and you'll come up with everywhere. And I have a, I have a website called DougNation.net where you can, you know, find out what I'm doing and things like that. <laughs> I hope that helped. Well, yes, and we will make sure that all those are posted on uh, the episode information. So, um, Doug, okay. thank you again. This has been a pleasure and just amazing. So I wish you best of awesome. luck. I hope to see you in Jersey. Again, for my guest, Doug Pinnock of, of King's X, I'm Metal Walt, and this is Metal Mayhem ROC. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.